The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It's such a joy to be here with you tonight. Can we just give a hand for everyone who's serving tonight? Can, can we give a hand for the people in Bible Island who are serving, watching my two little crazy kids? Can we give a hand for Ryan and, and for Shane and just everybody in the video room and, and Ryan Cook and just everybody, the worship team? And do you realize this? That it is a joy and not a chore to serve the Lord. It is a joy to serve the one who served us, you know, and, and it's a joy to be a part of this church. And I just want to say that I love you. <laughs> That's what I feel like I want to say more than anything else. Let us love one another, you know, and, and uh, Pastor Skip has loved us so well, and he's shown us God's love. Pastor Nate has shown me God's love, and, and I've, re- I've received so much love, and I'm just praying tonight that I could demonstrate some of that to you as well. And unfortunately, the way it works is you either grow in love through immediate obedience, and then God's like, oh, you didn't obey? You're going to learn through suffering. (laughs) That's how you learn to love. And that's what my message is about tonight. So I'm giving a message, you know, it's the Bible 30K, and I'm giving a message I'm calling downgrade. Downgrade. Now, when you're flying, everyone's always looking forward to those magical words, oh, sir, we looked at you. You're a loyal member of the club. You're a loyal Delta member. You have a free upgrade right this way, ma'am. And they come and bring you to the front of the plane, you know, through velvety curtains. And and they they, they give you a warm towel for your face and a glass of champagne. And you're like, oh, praise the Lord. There is a God in heaven and I'm his favorite, you know. And, and, and And that's what we all want to hear. But what do you do when you're a loyal member, when you're a loyal follower, a faithful traveler flying high with Jesus? But then someone comes to you and says, "Uh, sir, you're in the wrong seat. You need to go to the back of the plane. In fact, you can sit on the toilet and you can stand there the whole flight. You know, actually, we're going to actually escort you. We're going to take you out of the, the lavatory. We're going to put you down with the luggage in the cold and in the dark. You can be next to that annoying chihuahua the entire flight. What do you do then? Like, what do you do when you are doing your absolute best? You're not giving God your scraps. You're not giving God your leftovers. You're giving him your first fruits. You're giving him your absolute best. But then you end up in the cargo hole. What do you do in that kind of a situation? Welcome to the book of Job. Welcome to the book of Job. You know, people talk about the God of the Old Testament. Richard Dawkins, you know, very famously, Christopher Hitchens, you know, even though he, he passed away, said, the God of the Old Testament's a genocidal monster. The God of the Old Testament, he's a, he's a cosmic Kim Jong-il. That's what Christopher Hitchens says, you know, killing the Canaanites, oppressing women, down with slavery. This, this God of the Old Testament, he's the most unpleasant character in all fiction, is what Richard Dawkins had to say. Well, hmm, okay. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a skeptic. And maybe you've had a difficult time with the Bible. And I want to tell you something. When I started reading the Bible, I didn't like the Bible. (laughs) Can anybody relate with that? Maybe you don't expect to hear that from a pastor. I didn't like reading the Bible when I first started reading the Bible. I'm going to confess a little secret to you. The only part of the Bible I liked, the only part of the Bible that made any sense to me when I started having a daily devotion, a daily quiet time, the only thing, this is going to give some hope to some people, the only part of the Bible I liked were the epistles. I was like, 1 John, I can get down on some 1 John. Ooh, that's tasty, yeah. 
give me some of those epistles of Paul. Like, this makes sense. I get it. We're saved by grace. Like, we're supposed to be good husbands. I get it. And then you turn to Chronicles and you're like, what? And he, what? He also did evil? This guy begat that guy? And then you turn over to the book of Leviticus and you're like, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> what have I done becoming a Christian? I did not know what I was signing up for. Can anybody relate with that? Well, I want to tell you, the more you read it, the more you'll love it. Just keep going. I didn't even really get the synoptic gospels for a long time. But I just kept reading, and I kept reading, and I kept reading. And I tell you what, some of my favorite books of the Bible now are the Law of Moses. Like, I, 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 I'm, I'm obsessed with Deuteronomy. I read Exodus this year, and it was like, oh my gosh, the entire universe makes sense. But don't get discouraged if when you first start off, it doesn't feel like that. You just got to keep reading and keep going and keep reading. Read the parts you do get. And the more you understand the parts that you do get, then you can start getting into the parts that you don't get. And they'll start, God will start opening them up to you. The more you read it, the more you'll love it. The more you read it, the more you'll love it. But the book of Job, it can say it's a, it's a, it's a riddle. It's a bit of a riddle, right? Because here God is like bragging about his boy Job, the most righteous dude on earth. And why is God bragging to the devil? Like, that's, that's never, are you, are you trying to provoke a fight? Like, this does not seem like a good plan. And why does God call a staff meeting? Like, why would an omnipotent being even need a staff? Well, here's the thing. The confident leaders love to share their power. Insecure leaders hoard their power. The confident leaders love to delegate. He delegated the entire earth to us. Every human being is made in God's image, so they may rule. The best leaders love to delegate. And so, and so God's got a staff team. I think that's fantastic. It's a great leadership principle. And he's having a conversation with one of his staff members who kind of hate his guts. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure some of us in leadership can relate with that. <laughs> he's having a conversation with the devil. And, uh, and uh, um, uh, He's telling him, like, dude, my servant Job, I know you've been going to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for whom you may devour. Uh, but have you considered my servant Job? He's, he's righteous in all of his affairs. He, he, he worships me. He, he fears God. He shuns evil. He's the dude, right? And just FYI, anybody here want to be like Jesus? Anybody here want to be like Jesus? Like, I think we all want to be like Jesus. That's kind of the whole point of being a Christian. And, and, and we should try to be like Job, right? Because Job is the most righteous dude on earth. But Jesus said to John the Baptist that John the Baptist was the greatest born of women, but the least in the kingdom of God will be greater than John the Baptist. And that's like a whole salvation by grace thing tucked away. But it's also the fact that like in Christ, we should aspire to surpass Job. We should aspire to surpass John the Baptist. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not coming to church to win any gold medals. Like, I'm just looking to slide in. I'm just looking to kind of slide in on Judgment Day. But I got I to gotta warn you. If you are okay barely being saved, you might not be saved. If you are okay barely being saved, you might not be saved. Because people always want to be like their heroes. Now, Job 7.21, Job wasn't perfect. He confesses the fact that he's a sinner. But Job, you know the story, what happens to him. All of his children die. All of his livelihood is destroyed. And like, sometimes we throw around the verse like, hey, you got to have your house in order. If you're a righteous person, you'll have your house in order. And I know that is a, is a biblical principle. But Job's wife, after everything happens to him, he don't got his house in order because Job's wife comes up to him and says, curse God and die. And he sits there naked in ashes and in sackcloth. And he says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that's what Job does. That's how he reacts when everything gets ripped away from him. And the Lord showed me this when I was back preaching in the plex after my niece Lenya died and went to heaven. You know, my brother and his, his wife Jenny, they followed God through the fiercest of fires. 
their daughter dying. But when I was preaching, my, I, she was my favorite niece, you know. And when I was preaching in the Plex, the Lord showed this to me. In a world, this was back in 2012, in a world that worships its desires, the greatest way to glorify God is to worship him when he strips you of all that you desire. You know, and that's what the Lord showed me back in 2012, but I didn't know what I was signing up for. <laughs> I did not know what I had in store for me when I preached that sermon, all right? I, I, I kind of wish I could put that sermon back in the bottle in 2012 because I didn't know what was ahead of me. Because I'm here to tell you tonight that the Bible says this, the righteous don't always prosper. The righteous don't always prosper. Cheaters never prosper. Cheaters never prosper. Actually, the Bible says sometimes they do. Sometimes cheaters do prosper for a long time. And there's a whole psalm about that, you know. But then I went to the temple of the Lord and I remembered their end. They, they do prosper sometimes for a long while. But in the end, then I considered their end. It, hey, it's not the end of the story for you here tonight. Maybe you're here and you're following Christ and you feel like you're living in the cargo hole. You feel like you've been escorted from first class and you're sitting on the toilet. I want you to know the flight's not over yet. The flight's not, the, the flight lands. I know when the, the flight lands when Jesus comes back on a white horse. That's when the flight lands. And you might be here tonight and you might not be following Christ. Sure, you know him with your head, but you don't know him in your heart. And you're prospering and everything is going great. And you're playing games and you're fooling people. But I need to know you, you, you to know something too because I love you. It's not the end of the story. One day that plane is going to land. One day heaven is going to touch earth and there will be no predators in paradise. Jesus is going to break the fangs of the wicked. And for those of you who've been victims of abuse like I have, those of you who've been trampled on, oppressed, your husband beats you, you've been sexually abused, you've been trampled down by a greedy, materialistic society, I need you to know Jesus is going to come back one day and he's going to break the fangs of the wicked. There will be no predators in paradise unless they repent. There's room for repentant predators in paradise. But the righteous don't always prosper. Dr. Tony Evans, who's one of the best Bible teachers around, he's on, he's on KNKT, he's phenomenal. He's an African-American man, he, he's, a, he's a doctor. He actually is the first African-American who's ever released a one-volume commentary on the entire Bible. And I encourage you, all of you, to buy it because it is so easy to understand. It's spectacular. Dr. Tony Evans says this, If you come to Job with a preconceived idea of what is fair and says, If I do A, then B will happen, you will lose your mind. <laughs> Job's friends would bring this kind of thinking. You must be a big-time sinner because all these terrible things are happening to you. Satan does not deny Job's devotion. Instead, he asks, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan was the original proponent of the health and wealth, name it and claim it theology we hear today. He was convinced Job was only playing the righteous game to get the blessings. This ain't going to make me popular, but you know what? If I sought to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. The prosperity gospel turns you into a gold digger. You know what a gold digger is, right? That's what Satan thought about Job. He thought, you know what? You only married God for his money. You're just playing a game. You say, oh, I love God. I go to church. I pray. You just married God for his money. And that's what the prosperity gospel turns you into, you know? And, 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 and I just, I just got to say that, like, Jesus doesn't always make all your dreams come true. He makes his dreams come true. 
And his dream is that all of us would be in the image of Christ. That's his dream. That's what he wants for all of us. To restore us, to reverse the curse, to resurrect the earth, to bring us back to the garden. That's God's dream. That every human being would be in the image of Christ. And when you're in the image of Christ, you treat every other human being like they're in the image of God. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The gospel, the, the, the Bible starts off and, and, and it says that every human being is royalty. You're in the image of God. You were created to rule the earth. You know what? Some of us don't treat each other like royalty. We treat each other like garbage. And God wants to restore us to his image. And sometimes he's got to take away the toys to get us to behave like any good dad does. <clears throat> um, now I'll tell you my story. I'm not speaking from an ivory tower. I'm speaking from experience. Because my wife and I, and my beautiful wife is sitting in the front row. Can we give her a hand? <clears throat> my mom's here tonight. My marriage counselor is here tonight. The best. She's one of the greatest human beings in the whole city. Like, she has a master's degree in psychology. She was raised an atheist. Uh, uh, she has a, now come to Christ. She suffered immensely. And she has a PhD almost in biblical studies. And she's spectacular. And can I just say, it's a good idea to go to marriage counseling. Can I just say that? That it's safe to say that? That the gospel of grace doesn't make you afraid of being judged or afraid of being weak? When I'm weak, then I am strong. His grace is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in our weakness. But anyways, me and my wife, we left the plex. Really, we left the hub. My time here was like pinball, man. I was bouncing around. Because that's what a good soldier does. If the general tells you to do something, you don't go, I liked it better over here. You go, all right. Hey, I was over here in the plex. I was over here in the hub. I had a ministry with zero budget and zero people in the family room. I'm cool with that. I'll do whatever I can. I'll hustle. I will lead people to Christ on Central with zero budget. You know, that's what a good soldier does. And, and, and I'm not perfect, but I'm trying really hard to be in the image of Jesus. That's all I know. I'm jacked up. I'm an immature believer, I'm sure, in a lot of areas. But I'm trying my dang best to follow Jesus. Well, anyways, my wife and I, we led a lot of people to Christ at UNM. And we would do these events at the Lobo. They'd be packed out. And there'd be atheists coming to Christ. And there'd, there'd be Buddhists coming to Christ. And, 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 and people were bringing their skeptical friends. And maybe you're here tonight and you are a skeptic. And can I just tell you that I'd love to hang out with you? My friend Ryan Alcall is here. He's brilliant. He's not an atheist. He's unaffiliated. But, but, he, but he told me something brilliant. He said, if, you, if your faith can't handle hanging out with people you disagree with, your faith is worth nothing. Yeah, we could, we could clap for that. Um, but anyhow, uh, <clears throat> we were seeing people come to Christ. And I, you know, it's a long story. But we moved to Portland. And when we moved to Portland... Huffington Post had just labeled it the most religiously unaffiliated city in the country. All right, we moved there. Portland is having the largest naked bike ride in the world. <laughs> We're sitting in traffic. The cops are stopping cars for them. It's like, hey, 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 you stop right there, family with a small child. You need to allow these nudists to go by. <laughs> Thank you, officer. <laughs> you know, so when we moved to Portland, and, and, and we go there to love sinners because Jesus is the friend of sinners. And we're hustling as hard as we can, probably a little too hard, honestly. And, you know, we plant a church. Some of you have supported it. Some of you beautiful, wonderful people who believe the gospel supported that church plant. You know, and we move up there and, and I'll make a long story short. We hustle, we, we, we build a team, then with a team we launch a church. And we launched it right in downtown Portland. God was so gracious. I, I could not believe it. I felt like I was like, like just living in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a fantasy. It was so amazing. We, we launched a church in the dead center of Portland like a bullseye. The Lord opened up the door in this nightclub that had death metal bands <clears throat> play there. It also had Portland's largest naked dance party. Dude, Jesus was the friend of sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. What do I care, right? We had a cleaning crew come, though, so don't worry. A professional cleaning crew come through. They'd get the glitter off the floor. 
But so we, we, we launched the church and, uh, you know, people are coming to Christ. My wife builds this incredible band of 20 musicians. She's so talented, loves Jesus, just, just pulls all these people together. God is just doing incredible things. We're seeing atheists come to Christ. We're, we're seeing agnostics. This kid, uh, he was, he's my friend, Matt. He, um, Matt, if you ever watched the sermon, I love you so much. I can't even contain it. But Matt Diamse, like he was, he was wandering through a graveyard in the middle of Portland, thinking about committing suicide, had a serious alcohol problem and he wanders out of the graveyard and he sees a poster for reason church and he sees it and 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 uh and he takes a picture of it because he likes the art and like somebody had tagged him with us on instagram because the holy spirit always does the alley-oop right so like somebody had tagged him on our instagram so he comes to church gives his life to christ i get to baptize him he becomes our church photographer just like unreal then his mom comes up from l.a and his mom comes up to be crying and says, I've been praying for my son for years. I was worried he was going to die. And, and through your church, the Lord answered all my prayers for my son. Unbelievable, right? Well, we're also, you got to make sacrifices. I mean, Paul, like he didn't even get paid for ministry. Paul paid to do ministry. In fact, all of the apostles paid to do ministry. They paid with their lives. All right. I, I just got to say this. Preachers and sneakers, man, I'm not down with that. I'm not down with that. I, I, I got to be real because you don't preach the gospel for money. You pay money to preach the gospel. You pay with your life to preach the gospel. That's the gospel of grace. That's what it does to a heart. And, and, and I don't even care if I get in trouble for it. You know, Jesus will take care of me if I get in trouble. But, but, uh, um, um, but anyhow... Uh, we're living in this tiny one-bedroom, two-bedroom apartment with no light fixtures because the vacancy rate was so low in Portland. And like the church starts growing and every month the giving's better than the previous month and we're baptizing people. But, I, but, but the, the concrete gray skies of Portland and the isolation of being the only person on staff, we had, I was delegating, we were building a team. You know, Becca was delegating, it was amazing. There's, the church is not built on the talents of a few a church is built on the sacrifice of many, you know? And so it wasn't just us up there. Brian Pettit was there. Jasmine was there. You know, who else? I don't know. I don't know if anybody else from Portland is here. But anyways, like, I think, are you, are you here, Brian? Where's Brian? Yeah, they were doing this stuff with us, all right? And, and, and anyhow, but, but everybody else had to go work at Costco and, like, go work at Intel and Nike. And so I just got depressed out of my mind. And this is a ripe opportunity for me to talk about something. And that's just that um, um, uh, there are three things happening in our culture. One is secularization, where my generation is leaving the church. Some of your kids, your sons, your daughters, right? Uh, your, your friends, your neighbors. Another thing that's happening in our culture is a loneliness epidemic. The third thing that's happening in our culture is a suicide epidemic. And all... The, the sociologists say that these are just off the charts. 54% of Americans say they're lonely. 54%. Because your devices can't give you true connection. It's all fake. It's all shallow. And we need meaningful connection. And so there's a loneliness epidemic. Loneliness will shorten your life expectancy. It's like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. All right? And uh, it's actually as bad as obesity. Okay, but then the third thing that's happening is a suicide epidemic and a mental health epidemic. And people are, it, it's not just that like, oh, they're more willing to get diagnosed. They're more open. No, people are committing suicide. The rates are as high as they were almost in the Great Depression. There's a suicide epidemic happening. My friend Jared Wilson, a pastor, commits suicide. You know, I knew that guy. I was, he was a friend of mine. But so those three things are happening. Those three things are connected. Secularization loneliness, depression, mental health, and suicide, those things are connected. Wonder how they're connected? We live in the most individualistic culture in the history of the world. Where most cultures throughout history have been communal, almost to a fault, tribalism, but we are radically on the other side of that, this radical individualism where everybody is about, I need to follow my heart, I need to be like, the girl in Frozen and just let it go and follow my feelings. I just need to be true to myself. But here's the deal. When you go your own way, you go it alone. 
And so secularism leads to individualism because if there's no God, I'm just going to live for me, right? There's nothing that unites us. We don't have any faith that unites us. So you just live for whatever the heck you want. But when you go your own, selfishness always creates loneliness and sadness. And so the third thing we have is a suicide epidemic. And I got very lonely in Portland. And I'm sure there was some degree that my ego was in it where I was like afraid to call people. And, 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 and I, well, I was calling people, but I don't know. Maybe a phone's not enough. That's probably what it is. I was just lonely. <laughs> I was just lonely up there. <laughs> and I got depressed out of my mind. I got so depressed that one time my wife came up to me and she said, hey, will you put Lion, in your, our son's shoes on? And the idea of trying to find his shoes was so overwhelming for me that I started to shake and uncontrollably cry. Clinical depression is real. It wasn't the devil doing that to me. I mean, I'm sure he was involved in some aspect of it. But life is multidimensional, okay? Life is, is physical. Life is psychological and emotional. And life is spiritual, and when Elijah gets depressed and he wants to kill himself, in, in 1 Kings, the Lord doesn't go, you don't have enough faith, Elijah. What's wrong with you? Why don't you pray more, Elijah? Have you pleaded the blood? Have you confessed all known sin? Have you been to church lately? Have you, have you, have you read your Bible? Have you done enough? You know what the Lord does to him? He says, tu necesito cansado. <laughs> and it, the angel of the Lord touches him. Science says that releases oxytocin. <laughs> touches him. And then he takes a nap, and then he eats some food, and then he takes another nap, and then he eats some more food. Hey, that's a good lesson for some of you guys, Ryan. <laughs> you got to get some sleep, bro. You got to eat some food. I love Ryan. He's one of my favorite people in the whole world. But, but uh, everybody's my favorite because Jesus loves everybody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, uh, um, anyhow, you got to get some food. You, gotta, you, you need some medication. Hey, your body's physical. Your brain has 63 different neurotransmitters, I believe. Is that right, Rebecca? I think it's close, like 65. All right, you got these neurotransmitters. You got dopamine. You got serotonin. You got norepinephrine. You got GABA. You got oxytocin. You got endorphin. You got adrenaline. You got all these neurotransmitters in your brain. And if you have a shortage of serotonin, you want to die. If you've got too much dopamine in your brain, you want to party. <laughs> what do I have? Take a wild guess, you know? <laughs> Got a little too much dopamine up, up in uh, La Cabeza. Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And you can't win a fight you don't know you're in. Getting diagnosed is the best thing that ever happened to me. Anyways, the church grows. We move into a downtown venue. People are coming to Christ. This is my Job story, and, and I'll get into the text. Pastor Skip, I promise, all right? I'm going to get into the text. All right, I, I love that you teach me to be an expositor. It's my favorite thing on earth. Hey, if you don't stay in the word, you will become a wolf. If you don't stay in the word, you will become a wolf. All right, so we're getting into the text. Don't you worry. But anyways, the story, I think, is going to touch a lot of people. So anyways, the church keeps growing. I start delegating more. I bring another guy on staff. We move into this cool corporate, this venue where Nike holds their corporate events. My wife and I, by God's grace, get to move to a, a cool condo with a view of the river. I start being a, a better leader like God. I start delegating more. <laughs> I start sharing my power more and collaborating more. Because, hey, guess what? Wonder what something really cool I was thinking about this week? The Father delegates to the Son. The Son delegates to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit delegates to the 12 apostles. The 12 apostles delegates to the seven faithful men. There's a whole lot of sharing of power going on because that's how God rolls because he's not insecure. But anyways, I started being a more collaborative leader and the church started getting better. We saw like 300 people come to Christ on Easter in this like secular place. And, and all, all of this starts happening. But then I like this guy writes me a check for $80,000 for the church and then I have dinner with Judah Smith, and Judah's a cool guy, and, and like, then I can't sleep, and my wife starts getting worried about me, and then I can't sleep again, and I should have read First Kings, <laughs> and then I can't sleep again, and then I, insomnia makes you go crazy, 
and I go crazy and I get in a car accident going 90 miles per hour on a Sunday morning in front of my church and I get taken into an ambulance and I get sedated and I wake up like Sarah Connor in Terminator with restraints on my arms and I'm like, how did we end up here? And I find out I have bipolar. And that was one of the hardest moments of my entire existence on earth. I was 27 years old. I thought I was just a normal dude. But I'm here to tell you something. I am a normal dude. And you're a normal dude. And if you got schizophrenia here, I want you to know something. You're a normal dude. Because you know what? I was with my son Lion picking up my uh, olanzapine the other day. I don't care. Whatever. You can Google it. It doesn't bother me. I was with my son, and, and he's like, why do you need medicine? I'm like, well, if your stomach gets sick, you need medicine, right? It's like, Dad's brain gets sick, and i got to take some medicine. And, uh, and he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah, so your brain's kind of broken. I'm like, yeah, my brain's kind of broken. He's like, yeah, only Jesus' brain isn't broken, Dad. I was just his instant response is that all of us are broken. You know, we got to love each other and not look down on each other. But anyhow, let's get into the passage because it's just so amazing. And then I went through hell and we lived in California. I had to resign from my church for different reasons. And, I, and depression feels, clinical depression feels like walking around on two broken ankles. That's what clinical depression feels like. It feels like being trapped in a pitch black underground maze. And Job says, miserable comforters are you all in Job 16. And I had some miserable comforters. Miserable comforters. Therapists, counselors, different people, miserable comforters. But you know what? My dad, Matt Parolo, my wife, and you know what? Pastor Skip gave me the most compassionate phone call of anyone in the entire country. And he didn't treat me like I was a science project. Pastor Skip treated me like I was made in the image of God. And he treated me with compassion and empathy and vulnerability. And I want you to know something. Pastor Skip is not a miserable counselor. Pastor Skip is a wonderful counselor because he spends time with the wonderful counselor. And that's why we're going to get into the text. All right, let's check this out. All right. Job 31, I have made a covenant with my eyes. We all want to be like Job, right? Anybody want to be like Job? That's a scary thing. Raise your hand if you want to be like Job. It's terrifying. Do it. Jesus suffered. We got to suffer. Raise your hand if you want to be like Job. Raise your hand if you want to be like Jesus. Raise your hand if you want to be like Job. Raise your hand if you want to be like Jesus. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman to lust after her? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? If I've walked with falsehood or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed upon honest scales that God may know my integrity. If my step turned from the way or my heart walked after my eyes or if my hand, any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Let my harvest be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed by a woman or if I've lurked at my neighbor's door, or my neighbor's cubicle. Then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her. For what would be wickedness? Yes, it would be iniquity deserving a judgment. For that would be a fire that consumes to destruction. That would root out all my increase. If I have despised, you know what? I grew up teaching in youth group Job 31.1. And I had youth pastors who taught me Job 31.1. But you know what? We also need to learn Job 31.16. Because like Pastor Skip says, we need the whole Bible. 
All right, check this out. In our culture needs, Job 31, 16, if I've kept the poor from their desire or caused the eyes of the widow to fail, if I've eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my youth I've reared him as a father, and from my mother's womb I've guided the eyes of the widow, If I've seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or a poor man without a covering, if his heart has not blessed me and if it was not warmed with a fleece from my sheep, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, let my arm fall from my shoulder. Let my arm be torn from its socket. Mark that, Job 31, 22. We'll be back there. For the destruction from God is a terror to me. And because of his magnificence, I cannot endure. This verse, man, if you're struggling with depression, underline these verses. Okay, 24 and 25. If I've made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence, you are my security, the NIV says. If I've rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much. Our first thought tonight is this. The righteous don't always prosper. Our second point tonight is that the righteous keep themselves pure. The righteous keep themselves pure. Our next, and, 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 and I just, I just got to say, you know, this is, the struggle is real, right? We all struggle with it. You know, Pastor Neil says something so wise. He says, you don't have to go looking for porn. Porn will come looking for you. You know, it, it comes looking for you. It, it comes at you. And, and we all struggle with this. But the righteous keep themselves pure. Joe makes a covenant with his eyes that he wouldn't look at the young woman with lust. He's the most righteous dude on earth, right? Every Christian should ex- surpass Job. That's the goal of Jesus has. He doesn't look at a young woman less. Sermon on the Mount, yo. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, the righteous keep himself here. He doesn't lurk at his neighbor's cubicle. He's like, hey, that's uh, not my wife. So uh, I'm going to leave her alone. I'm not going to joke with her and share things with her that I should only share with my wife. I'm not going to make this emotional bond with her and entice her. I'm going to actually just stick with my wife. Thank you very much. The righteous keep themselves pure. And I, and, and I feel like this is worth just saying is that people who look at pornography are 300% more likely to commit adultery. 300%. Stephen Stack, Ira Wasserman, Roger Kerr, the researchers, they found that. The Daily Reporter found that porn users are 400% more likely to visit a prostitute. Researchers that were published in GQ. Okay, you're like, oh, you judgy Christian. Quit judging me. I love looking at porn. Hey, you know those are human beings that you're looking at? You know that's somebody's daughter? You know that's somebody's sister? You know that's somebody's baby girl that you're looking at on that screen? Somebody's baby boy? You know that's someone made in God's image? You know that some of them are, are, are sex slaves and they're caught up in human trafficking? Huge percentages of them are caught in human trafficking. And they're acting. It's fake. What you're looking at is a fabrication on that screen. But Cambridge University published in GQ, all right, anybody, Gentleman's Quarterly? Gentleman's Quarterly says you should stop looking at porn. And they found that porn rewires your brain and that it is as addictive as cocaine. Porn rewires your brain. It's as addictive as cocaine. And, and of course, GQ had a, had a reason for this. They found that people who look at porn on a regular basis get erectile dysfunction. Satan promises you one thing and then steals from you the very thing you're looking for. That's what Satan does. So, anyways, I experienced this firsthand today. It's really hard to live like Job because it's going to go on. Our next point is that the righteous care for the poor. So, the righteous don't always prosper. The righteous seek to be pure. And then our third point is that the righteous care for the poor. And this is the one I didn't learn in youth group, all right, that much. 
the righteous care for the poor. <laughs> and uh, um, uh, I'm going to go on to talk about being the poor, but, but I just want to say how hard it is to live like this. It's very hard. Narrow is the way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. Like it's stressful trying to be like Job, okay? Because today I realized I had a huge hole in my crotch. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, Pastor Skip, uh, well, he probably wouldn't appreciate that. And I know this church doesn't like ripped jeans. We know, okay? We get it by now. All right? So I'm like, I gotta go buy a new pair of pants. So I'm going to the mall. And I walk into the mall. I'm like, about to teach Job 31. Do, do. Victoria's Secret, don't look over there. Do, 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 do. And then I go inside H&M. And I'm like, okay, I can't put my trust in gold. I really want to buy that shirt. No, don't do it. My wife and I are trying to get out of credit card debt. Don't buy extra things. You came here for pants. But I want the shorts. No, 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 no. But I want that shirt. No, 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 no. And I go over to the rack and I get the jeans. And, and I'm like, get up to the counter. I put them down. I'm like, I'm not trying to be weird here, but I got a really uh, important question. Did poor little kids in other countries make these pants? <laughs> And the little tag says, like, H&M conscious. And I was like, I think that's probably a good sign. <laughs> and she's like, they tell us they stopped doing that. I don't know if it's true or not. And I'm like, man, living in Babylon sucks. And I buy the pants. <laughs> and I walk out. Because <laughs> the righteous don't always prosper. Daniel didn't prosper, but he got stolen and taken to Babylon. Right? He, he, he had to work for a corrupt administration. The righteous keep themselves pure. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at the young woman with lust. And the righteous care for the poor. And, and uh, Pastor Skip told me one of the wisest things in the entire universe, okay? Before I went to Bible college, I sat down and had coffee with him. And he's such a cool guy that he'd have coffee with some, like, pimple-faced 17-year-old. What a cool guy, right? But we have coffee. And, uh, and I say, hey, what's the biggest mistake you see young guys make? And he pauses like he does, and he thinks. He goes, you know, the pendulum effect. The pendulum effect. And that's that human nature is like a pendulum. We swing to extremes. You know, and I see a lot of Christians, they're like, oh my gosh, the gifts of the Spirit. We should probably get the Blues Brothers going. Like, we should start the Blues Brothers back up. We should swing from saying chandeliers. We should speak in tongues. We should roll on the floor like laughing like dogs. And we should, you know, go wild, you know. But then people see that, and that's weird, and that's wonky. And how good was that message this weekend? Wasn't that message spectacular? Anybody love that? But the pendulum effect. Then, then you swing to the other extreme, and you go to the other extreme. You're like, we are cessationalists. We care about doctrine. We don't, we don't get into that spirit wonkiness. We care about the word. Right? And, 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 you, and you look down your nose at all the people rolling on the floor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And, and, and then, but then human nature, you, you, swing, you just swing to these extremes. You know? And you're like, oh, mega churches are trash. That, that, that mega church was corrupt. Now we must all do house churches. And only house churches are right. And only house churches please the Lord. But Pastor Skip, because he's a man of the word, he's a man of balance and wisdom. And he says, you know what? There's usually just a gospel middle. So don't swing to extremes. And when I say that I care about the poor, I know what some of you start thinking. You're like, oh, he wants to sell all the lights. He hates these lights. He wants to sell every last one of them. He wants us to go sleep in cardboard boxes under a bridge. That's what he wants for my family. Get this Jesse guy out of there. He wants us all sleeping in cardboard. I'm like, no, I don't. That's not what I'm saying at all. <laughs> God doesn't want all Christians to be poor. He wants all Christians to care about the poor. That's all he wants. He doesn't want all Christians to be poor. My favorite verse brought me such clarity when I was at Bible college. It's at the end of 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy warns, it says that those who desire riches pierce themselves through with many sorrows. And I'll explain a bit about that in just a moment. But, we, but, but, but then it continues on and it says that he richly gives us all things to enjoy. Command those who are rich. Hey, we're rich. You know the CEO of Boeing, Bible 30K, right? Bible 30K, anyone? The CEO of Boeing says 80% of the world has never been on an airplane. Everybody say it. Say, I'm rich. I'm rich. 
Command those who are rich in this present age not to be prideful and not to trust in riches which are so uncertain, but to hope in the living God who richly gives us all things to enjoy. Tell them to be generous, to be willing to share, that they might store up for themselves an inheritance in the life that is truly life. That's, that's what Job's all about, man. He says, if I, if I put my hope in gold, or I said, find gold, you're my confidence, you're my security. You know, it, it's, it's amazing. I, 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 I'll say this briefly. I, he compares it to idolatry in the next verse. He says, if I've observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in its brightness, if, I, if I've kissed my hand, and, I, and that would be a judgment worthy of iniquity. He compares trusting in money to idolatry. Well, Paul the Apostle knew his Bible, all right? Jesus knew his Bible. You, he knew Job. He knew Job, and he said, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God in money. You'll love the one and hate the other. You can't do it. It's not possible. You can't love both. And, and I want you to know this. What, the, what, what you can see in Matthew chapter 6 is that idolatry always creates anxiety and rivalry. Idolatry always creates anxiety and rivalry. Job says, if I made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my security. If your security is anything other than God, you will be a person of anxiety and rivalry. You will be a person of insecurity and also a person of superiority. You will be a person of in inferiority and superiority. One minute you'll be like, oh man, I'm doing better than that person. Look how good I look. Ooh, I'm looking better than that girl at the office. Look at me, I'm so fine. And then like a prettier girl comes in, you're like, dang it. <laughs> That's what happens and we all do it. Every last one of us do it. But he says, if I had rejoiced because my wealth was great. Dude, Job was a rich dude who didn't care about money. Isn't that awesome? And the way you can tell if you worship God or gold is the way you treat needy people made in his image. You can tell if you worship God or gold by the way you treat needy people made in his image. I have to get into this just for five minutes. All right, can we do just a little bit of philosophy for five minutes? I love philosophy. I love apologetics. Philosophy just means the love of wisdom. That's all it means, the love of wisdom. Man, I love wisdom. <laughs> but but uh, man, C.S. Lewis said we've got to have Christian philosophers just to answer bad philosophers, you know? And, and, and C.S. Lewis was an atheist who taught at Oxford and Cambridge, became a Christian, became one of the most prolific Christian writers of all time. But, uh, but, 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 but um, this is so cool, all right? Um, this is so cool. All right. So a lot of people are like, oh man, I hate the Bible. I hate all that stuff. I, I, I hate that God. Hey, contrast is the mother of clarity. If you ask a fish, how's the water? The fish will say, what the heck's water? We're living in Western civilization, which has been profoundly influenced by this book. Read Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural. He's got like 30 references. He references Job. He talks about widows and orphans. We are in a culture that we are, we are sinking in Western civilization. And we're so surrounded by the influence of the Bible. But contrast is a mother of clarity. You put that fish on land. He's like, oh, I know how the water was. It was very nice. Thank you very much. Hey, and little fish, I'd like to take you in a time machine really quick. All right. I'd like to take you in a time machine before Western civilization, before the influence of the Bible. The Bible starts off, Genesis starts off, let us make man in our own image, male and female, he created them in his own image that they may rule. All right? Every human being is royalty. Let me tell you about 3,500 years ago. If you were living in Babylon, you would hear about the gods named Marduk. And this is how the Genesis in Babylon goes. It goes, <laughs> there was a god Marduk. And he got on his chariot. And he had one horse named Merciless. 
and one horse named Slaughter. Sounds like a death metal band. And Marduk, the god of Babylon, rides his chariot and he pulls out an arrow and he shoots the goddess Tiamat. Oh, that's nice for women, right? Shoots her through the throat with an arrow and then cuts her body in half and out of her top half makes the heavens and out of her bottom half makes the earth. That's their creation story. Genesis doesn't say God's a warrior who cuts people in half. Genesis says God's an artist. God's a poet who rejoices in his work of art. It's good. It's good. It is so good. Like, that's how I picture the God being. It is very good. Like, he's stoked. He's like Tony Evans. He's like so pumped. <laughs> and he's excited. And then he says, you know what I'm going to do? I made this beautiful creation. I'm going to give it away. And he gives his creation away to someone that he loves. And he makes mankind and womankind. It specifically says male and female. And it says it here. Hey, all you people who hate the Old Testament, look at Job, uh, look at, look at, look at uh, Job 31 to 13. If I despise the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he punishes? How shall I answer him? Did he who not made them in the womb also make me in the same womb? Didn't he fashion us in the womb, all of us, the human race? Well, then Marduk goes on. And in book six of the Enuma Elish, Marduk says, let us make a savage. We shall call him man and he shall be our slave that us gods may take their ease. If you went in a time machine, would you rather be a Jew or a Babylonian? <laughs> I think you'd probably want to be down with the Bible, okay? Because it says every human being has innate dignity, worth, and value, and human rights. And, 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 and um, um, you know, time escapes me, and I don't want to uh, go over anything, but, but I would just say that when you compare the Code of Hammurabi to the Law of Moses, the Code of Hammurabi says this. It's ba the Babylonian Law Code. The Code of Hammurabi, I was listening to this Yale lawyer talk about it, and <laughs> it says this. If your slave talks back to you, cut off his nose or cut off her ears. Wonder what the Law of Moses says? The Law of Moses says this. Says that, says that if you knock out your slave's tooth, it says this in the book of Deuteronomy, you have to set him free. And that if a slave runaways to you, it says in the book of Deuteronomy, you have, to, you have to provide for the slave and not send him back to his master. That is like Harriet Tubman status. Okay? That's how different the Bible is. I'll read you this quote. I'll read you a couple quotes, then we'll go to our last point and our best point and we'll end the service. But... Josiah Stamp, a British economist, says this. So let's read this one more time. If I despised the cause, that word is mishpat. It means justice. The word cause there means justice. If I despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up, when he punishes me? How shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? Josiah Stamp says this. He's a British economist. Christian ideals have permeated society until non-Christians who claim to live a decent life without religion have forgotten the very origin and concept and context of their decency. Read you another one. Uh, Zhu Xping is a sociologist in China. Right now they're trying to fight for democracy. We're like trying to become atheists. All the, all the atheists in China are trying to become Christians. <laughs> and they're trying to fight for democracy. But, but the sociologist, uh, Zhu Xping, I can't pronounce it right, I apologize, sir. If you ever listen to this in China, he probably won't. But uh, only by understanding the Christian of idea of transcendence as a criterion can we understand the real meaning of freedom rights, human rights, tolerance, equality, justice, democracy, universality, and the fact that we should protect the environment for the sake of poor people on the other side of the world. He says the only way to understand that is to get what we got in our Declaration of Independence. What does our Declaration of Independence say? It's, it says we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That comes from Jesus. That comes from Jesus. 
Because guess what? Jesus walked up to the slaves that Marduk and Caesar and Zeus trampled on in their chariots. And Jesus went and touched them. And he hugged them. And he welcomed them. And he loved them. And we're deconstructing everything, right? We're deconstructing gender. That's just a social construct. God doesn't exist. We're deconstructing religion. We're deconstructing our Bibles. We're deconstructing church. But you know what's going to happen to us? Soon we're going to start realizing that if God doesn't exist, we got to deconstruct the Declaration of Independence. Human rights are just a social construct. And that's why John Gray, who realizes this, a British atheist, one of the most respected British atheists in the world, said this, most atheists regurgitate some secular version of Christian morality. Philosophy has not given up Christianity's cardinal error, the belief that humans are radically different from other animals. If you're an atheist, this is an atheist speaking to an atheist, okay? John Gray says, human life has no more meaning than that of slime mold. Don't be mean to atheists, though, because guess what? Atheists are made in God's image. Be gentle to atheists. Be loving. Be kind. Be generous. Treat them with mercy. Treat them with compassion. Be their friend. Love them. I would love to hang out with John Gray. It'd probably be intimidating, (laughs) but... uh, Martin Luther King Jr., on the other hand, said this, Man is more than a tiny vagary of whirling electrons or a wisp of smoke from the limitless smoldering. Man is a child of God, made in his image, and therefore he must be respected as such. Can we put our hands together for that? (laughs) Immigrants are made in the image of God. The unborn are made in the image of God. Muslims are made in the image of God. Criminals are made in the image of God. And Tony Evans says it like this. Ooh, actually, Bob Dylan says it like this. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Tony Evans says, Jesus didn't come to take a side. Jesus came to take over. Right now, one out of four Germans are anti-Semites. 2019, New York Times. Want to know what that means? Winning a war or winning an election will not change the human heart. The gospel will. I'm not interested in winning elections. I'm interested in winning souls. That's what I'm interested in. And I want to end with this thought, and that's this. Righteousness comes from our provider. Maybe you're looking at your life and you're going, you know what, I'm not righteous like Job, and I'm not either. I'm not righteous like Job. I haven't kept myself pure. And Job says, if I I hadn't cared for the poor, that homeless guy, lately I've been hanging out with heroin addicts, and i got to let you know, I'm not trying to insult you. I'm not trying to impress you. I'm trying to inspire you. I've been hanging out with heroin addicts. And and, and the truth is that self-righteousness makes you look down on the poor. But true righteousness makes you love the poor. And this church loves the poor. And we did $200,000 for Reload Love. Wasn't that amazing? But it's not enough. Wonder why I say it's not enough? Because Job says, if I saw anyone perishing for lack of clothing, let my arm be ripped from its socket. Let my shoulder be out of joint. You know, here's the truth. I don't love the poor enough. You don't love the poor enough. But you're not saved by how loving you are, are you? You're saved by how loving Jesus is. And here in Job 31, he says, May my arm be ripped out of socket. I would be courting destruction. God's a God of justice. And he will judge the predators. Because he's good. But you know what Psalm 22 says? Messianic Psalm written... 
thousand years before Jesus, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My tongue clings to the roof of my mouth like a potsherd. All my bones are out of joint. Jesus took the ultimate downgrade so you could have the ultimate upgrade. I haven't been pure. I haven't cared for the poor. But Jesus does. Jesus was pure. Jesus cared for the poor. Jesus was oppressed so that you could be set free. Jesus was stripped naked. He didn't have a loincloth on. You don't know anything about the Romans, okay? He was naked on that cross so you and I could be clothed in his righteousness. Jesus was hungry so that you and I could be filled. Jesus, he was tortured so he could be the wonderful counselor. And whatever you're going through tonight, I want you to know, I know like I know that this table is real, that there's a God in heaven who was crucified for you. Father, I thank you that Jesus didn't stay on that cross. He burst forth out of that grave. He was downgraded, then he was upgraded. And I know what that feels like, God, because you saw me in Redlands trying to follow you. But thinking about suicide 24 hours a day. And you saw me in that dungeon, God. But you brought me out of the miry clay. And you set my feet upon a rock. You put a song in my mouth. You put a message in my heart, God. And you see the people suffering here tonight. You see Pastor Skip suffering, God, and you love us so much that you sent your only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. Maybe you're here if you're, and you're anxious because you're trusting in gold and you're trusting in girls, and you're anxious. But tonight you can trust in God. If you want to do that tonight, if you want to turn from self-righteousness and receive the gift of everlasting righteousness, maybe you've been hurt by self-righteous Christians. Jesus warned us about them. He said there's going to be wolves in sheep's clothing. And I tell you what, the wolves in sheep's clothing have pierced my flesh. They've pierced my very home. But the sh don't reject the shepherd because of the wolves in sheep's clothing. Because then the fakes win. If you want to get real tonight, would you raise your hand up? If you want to get real and put your trust in Jesus tonight, would you raise your hand up? If you want to stop trusting in gold and in girls and in guys, and you want to trust in Jesus, would you raise your hand up? I see a bunch of hands going up. Maybe you're here tonight, you're depressed out of your skull. Would you want to raise your hand up? Maybe you're a Christian, but you're like me in Redlands. The non-Christians need the gospel. 
The Christians need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. If you need Jesus, would you raise your hand up tonight? Just admit that you need Jesus. Just say, I need him. I need his grace. I need him. If you've been saved for 20 years, raise your hand up tonight. If, if, you've, if you've been saved 40 years, raise your hand up tonight. If you've never been saved, raise your hand up tonight. We all need the gospel. We all need it. Every day of our lives, we need God's grace. Father, I pray for all of us. Have mercy on us sinners. Lord, we turn from our sins together. Would you heal our land? You say that if a people called by my man by name would humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways and, and, and seek after me, Lord, that you would, you would hear them and heal our land. Would you heal our land? We live in a broken, fractured world where Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats. We live in a world where white people hate black people, where immigrants hate, hate Americans and Americans hate immigrants. God, heal our land by your love, Jesus. And heal Pastor Skip. We love him so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we go out singing? For more resources, visit calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 feet.